0: Question 10, Part 1 of Summa Theologica Secunda Secunde Treatise on the Theological Virtues, The Virtue of Faith This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. Summa Theologica Secunda Secunde Treatise on the Theological Virtues, The Virtue of Faith by St. Thomas Aquinas, translated by the Fathers of the English-Dominican Province. Question 10 of Unbelief in General, in Twelve Articles, Part 1, Articles 1-6. through 6. In due sequence we must consider the contrary vices, first, unbelief, which is contrary to faith, secondly, blasphemy which is opposed to confession of faith. Thirdly, ignorance and dullness of mind, which are contrary to knowledge and understanding. As to the first, we must consider 1. Unbelief in general 2. Heresy 3. Apostasy from the faith Under the first head, there are twelve points of inquiry first, whether unbelief is a sin, second, what is its subject, third, whether it is the greatest of sins, fourth, whether every action of unbelievers is a sin, fifth, of the species of unbelief, sixth, of their comparison one with another. Seventh, whether we ought to dispute about faith with unbelievers. Eighth, whether they ought to be compelled to the faith. Ninth, whether we ought to have communications with them. Tenth, whether unbelievers can have authority over Christians. Eleventh, whether the rights of unbelievers should be tolerated. Twelfth, whether the children of unbelievers are to be baptized against their parents' will. First article, whether unbelief is a sin. Objection one, it would seem that unbelief is not a sin, for every sin is contrary to nature, as Damascene proves in On the True Faith, two four. Now unbelief seems not to be contrary to nature, for Augustine says in On the Predestination of the Saints, 5, that to be capable to having faith, just as to be capable of having charity, is natural to all men, whereas to have faith, even as to have charity, belongs to the grace of the faithful. Therefore. Not to have faith, which is to be an unbeliever, is not a sin. Objection to, further. No one sins that which he cannot avoid, since every sin is voluntary. Now, it is not in a man's power to avoid unbelief, for he cannot avoid it unless he have faith, because the Apostle says in Romans 10.14, How shall they believe in him, of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Therefore, unbelief does not seem to be a sin. Objection 3. Further, as stated above in Pars Prima Secunde, question 84, article 4, there are seven capital sins. To which all sins are reduced. But unbelief does not seem to be comprised under any of them, therefore unbelief is not a sin. On the contrary, vice is opposed to virtue. Now faith is a virtue, and unbelief is opposed to it, therefore unbelief is a sin. I answer that unbelief may be taken in two ways. First, by way of pure negation, so that a man be called an unbeliever merely because he has not the faith. Secondly, unbelief may be taken by way of opposition to the faith, in which sense a man refuses to hear the faith or despises it according to Isaiah 53.1. Who hath believed our report? It is this that completes the notion of unbelief, and it is in this sense that unbelief is a sin. If, however, we take it by way of pure negation, as we find it in those who have heard nothing about the faith, it bears the character not of sin but of punishment because such like ignorance of divine things is a result of the sin of our first parent if such like unbelievers are damned it is on account of other sins which cannot be taken away without faith but not on account of their sin of unbelief hence our lord said in john 15:22 if i had not come And spoken to them, they would have not sin, which Augustine expounds in his 143 tractates on the Gospel of John, number 84, as referring to the sin whereby they believed not in Christ. Reply to Objection 1. To have the faith is not part of human nature, But it is part of human nature that man's mind should not thwart his innered instinct and the outward preaching of the truth. Hence, in this way, unbelief is contrary to nature. Reply to Objection 2. This argument takes unbelief as denoting a pure negation. Reply to Objection 3. Unbelief, in so far as it is a sin, arises from pride through which man is unwilling to subject his intellect to the rules of faith and to the sound interpretation of the fathers. Hence Gregory says in his commentary on job thirty one forty five that presumptuous innovations arise from vainglory. It might also be replied that just as the theological virtues are not reduced to the cardinal virtues but precede them, so, too, the vices opposed to the theological virtues are not reduced to the capital vices. Second article, whether unbelief is in the intellect as its subject. Objection 1. It would seem that unbelief is not in the intellect as its subject. For every sin is in the will, according to Augustine, in On the Two Souls Against the Manichees, 10.11. Now unbelief is a sin, as stated above in Article One. Therefore, unbelief resides in the will, and not in the intellect. Objection to. Further, unbelief is sinful through contempt of the preaching of the faith. But contempt pertains to the will; therefore, unbelief is in the will. Objection three. Further, a gloss on Augustine in his Enchiridion, number sixty, on Second Corinthians eleven fourteen satan transformeth himself into an angel of light says that if a wicked angel pretend to be a good angel and be taken for a good angel it is not a dangerous or an unhealthy error if he does or says what is becoming to a good angel this seems to be because of the rectitude of the will of the man who adheres to the angel since his intention is to adhere to a good angel. Therefore, the sin of unbelief seems to consist entirely in a perverse will, and consequently it does not reside in the intellect. On the contrary, things which are contrary to one another are in the same subject. Now faith, which unbelief is opposed resides in the intellect therefore unbelief also is in the intellect i answer that as stated above in the pars prima secunde question 74 articles 1 and 2 sin is said to be in the power which is the principle of the sinful act Now a sinful act may have two principles, one is its first and universal principle, which commands all acts of sin, and this is the will, because every sin is voluntary. The other principle of the sinful act is the proper and proximate principle which elicits the sinful act, thus the concupiscible, is the principle of gluttony and lust, wherefore these sins are said to be in the concupiscible. Now dissent, which is the act proper to unbelief, is an act of the intellect, moved, however, by the will, just as assent is. Therefore, unbelief, like faith, is in the intellect as its proximate subject. But, It is in the will as its first moving principle, in which way every sin is said to be in the will. Hence the reply to the first objection is clear. Reply to objection two. The will's contempt causes the intellect's dissent, which completes the notion of unbelief. Hence the cause of unbelief is in the will, while unbelief itself is in the intellect. Reply to Objection 3. He that believes a wicked angel to be a good one does not dissent from a matter of faith, because his bodily senses are deceived, while his mind does not depart from a true and right judgment, as the gloss observes. Augustine and Caritian 60. But, according to the same authority, to adhere to Satan when he begins to invite one to his abode, that is, wickedness and error, is not without sin. Third article, whether unbelief is the greatest of sins. Objection 1 it would seem that unbelief is not the greatest of sins. For Augustine says, in On Baptism against the Donations, 420, I should hesitate to decide whether a very wicked Catholic ought to be preferred to a heretic, in whose life one finds nothing reprehensible beyond the fact that he is a heretic. But a heretic is an unbeliever therefore we ought not to say absolutely that unbelief is the greatest of sins objection to further that which diminishes or excuses a sin is not seemingly the greatest of sins now unbelief excuses or diminishes sin for the apostle says in first timothy one twelve and thirteen i before was a blasphemer and a persecutor and contumelious but i obtained mercy because i did it ignorantly in unbelief therefore unbelief is not the greatest of sins objection three Further, the greater sin deserves the greater punishment, according to Deuteronomy 25.2. According to the measure of the sin shall the measure also of the stripes be. Now, a greater punishment is due to believers than to unbelievers, according to Hebrews 10.29. How much more do you think? he deserveth worse punishments, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath esteemed the blood of the testament unclean, by which he was sanctified? Therefore, unbelief is not the greatest of sins. On the contrary, Augustine, commenting on John fifteen twenty two. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned, says in his 143 tractates on the Gospel of John, number 84. Under the general name, he refers to a singularly great sin, for this, notably infidelity, is the sin to which all others may be traced. Therefore, unbelief, is the greatest of sins. I answer that every sin consists formally in aversion from God, as stated above, in the Pars Prima Secundi, question 71, article 6, as well as in the Pars Prima Secundae, question 73, article 3. Hence, the more a sin severs man from God, the graver it is. Now man is more than ever separated from God by unbelief, because he has not even true knowledge of God. And by false knowledge of God, man does not approach him, but is severed from him. Nor is it possible for one who has a false opinion of God to know him in any way at all, because the object of his opinion is not God. Therefore, it is clear that the sin of unbelief is greater than any sin that occurs in the perversion of morals. This does not apply to the sins that are opposed to the theological virtues, as we shall state further on, in question 20, article 3, question 34, article 2, second reply, and in question 39, article Two, Third reply. reply to objection one nothing hinders a sin that is more grave in its genus from being less grave in respect of some circumstances hence augustine hesitated to decide between a bad catholic and a heretic not sinning otherwise because although the heretics sin is more gravely generically it can be lessened by a circumstance and conversely the sin of the catholic can by some circumstance be aggravated reply to objection 2 unbelief includes both ignorance as an accessory thereto and resistance to matters of faith and in the latter respect it is a most grave sin in respect however of this ignorance It has a certain reason for excuse especially when a man sins not from malice as was the case with the apostle reply to objection three an unbeliever is more severely punished for his sin of unbelief than another sinner is for any sin whatever if we consider the kind of sin but in the case of another sin for example adultery committed by a believer and by an unbeliever the believer other things being equal sins more gravely than the unbeliever both on account of his knowledge of the truth through faith and on account of the sacraments of faith with which he has been satiated and which he insults by committing sin Fourth article, whether every act of an unbeliever is a sin objection one, it would seem that each act of an unbeliever is a sin, because a gloss on Romans fourteen twenty three, all that is not of faith is sin, says, The whole life of unbelievers is a sin. Now the life of unbelievers, consists of their actions. Therefore, every action of an unbeliever is a sin. Objection to. Further, faith directs the intention. Now, there can be no good save what comes from a right intention. Therefore, among unbelievers, no action can be good. Objection 3. Further, when that which precedes is corrupted, that which follows is corrupted also. Now an act of faith precedes the acts of all the virtues. Therefore, since there is no act of faith in unbelievers, they can do no good work, but sin in every action of theirs. On the contrary, it is said of Cornelius, while yet an unbeliever, in Acts ten four thirty one, that his alms were acceptable to God. Therefore, not every action of an unbeliever is a sin, but some of his actions are good. I answer that, as stated above in the pars de question eighty five. Articles 2 and 4. Mortal sin takes away sanctifying grace, but does not wholly corrupt the good of nature. Since, therefore, unbelief is a mortal sin, unbelievers are without grace indeed, yet some good of nature remains in them. Consequently, it is evident that unbelievers cannot do those good works which proceed from grace, notably meritorious works, yet they can, to a certain extent, do those good works for which the good of nature suffices. Hence it does not follow that they sin in everything they do, but whenever they do anything out of their unbelief, then they sin. For even as one who has the faith can commit an actual sin, venial or even mortal which he does not refer to the end of faith so too an unbeliever can do a good deed in a matter which he does not refer to the end of his unbelief reply to objection one the words quoted must be taken to mean either that the life of unbelievers cannot be sinless since without faith no sin is taken away, or that whatever they do out of unbelief is a sin. Hence the same authority adds, because everyone that lives or acts according to his unbelief sins grievously. Reply to Objection 2. Faith directs the intention with regard to the supernatural last end. But even the light of natural reason, can direct the intention in respect of a connatural good. Reply to Objection 3. Unbelief does not so wholly destroy natural reason in unbelievers, but that some knowledge of the truth remains in them, whereby they are able to do deeds that are generically good. With regard however to cornelius it is to be observed that he was not an unbeliever else his works would not have been acceptable to god whom none can please without faith now he had implicit faith as the truth of the gospel was not yet made manifest hence peter was sent to him to give him fuller instruction in the faith Fifth Article, Whether There Are Several Species of Unbelief Objection 1. It would seem that there are not several species of unbelief. For since faith and unbelief are contrary to one another, they must be about the same thing. Now the formal object of faith is the first truth, whence it derives its unity although its matter contains many points of belief. Therefore, the object of unbelief also is the first truth, while the things which an unbeliever disbelieves are the matter of his unbelief. Now, the specific difference depends not on material but on formal principles. Therefore, there are not several species of unbelief according to the various points which the unbeliever disbelieves objection to further it is possible to stray from the truth of faith in an infinite number of ways if therefore the various species of unbelief correspond to the number of various errors it would seem to follow that there is an infinite number of species of unbelief and, consequently, that we ought not to make these species the object of our consideration. Objection 3. Further, the same thing does not belong to different species. Now a man may be an unbeliever through erring about different points of truth. Therefore, diversity of errors, does not make a diversity of species of unbelief, and so there are not several species of unbelief. On the contrary, several species of vice are opposed to each virtue, because good happens in one way, but evil in many ways, according to Dionysius in On the Divine Names 4 and the philosopher in Ethics six. Now faith is a virtue, therefore several species of vice are opposed to it. I answer that, as stated above in Pars Prima Secundae question 55 article 4, and in Pars Prima Secundae question 64 article 1, Every virtue consists in following some rule of human knowledge or operation. Now, conformity to a rule happens one way in one matter, whereas a breach of the rule happens in many ways, so that many vices are opposed to one virtue. The diversity of the vices that are opposed to each virtue may be considered in two ways. First, With regard to their different relations to the virtue, and in this way there are determinate species of vices contrary to a virtue. Thus, to a moral virtue, one vice is opposed by exceeding the virtue, and another by falling short of the virtue. Secondly, the diversity of vices opposed to one virtue may be considered in respect of the corruption of the various conditions required for that virtue. In this way, an infinite number of vices are opposed to one virtue, for example, temperance or fortitude, according to the infinite number of ways in which the various circumstances of a virtue may be corrupted, so that the rectitude of virtue is forsaken. For this reason, the Pythagoreans held evil to be infinite. Accordingly, we must say that if unbelief be considered in comparison to faith, there are several species of unbelief, determinate in number. For, since the sin of unbelief consists in resisting the faith, this may happen in two ways. Either the faith is resisted before it has been accepted, and such is the unbelief of pagans or heathens. Or the Christian faith is resisted after it has been accepted, and this either in the figure, and such is the unbelief of the Jews, or in the very manifestation of truth, and such is the unbelief of heretics. Hence we may, in a general way, reckon these three as species of unbelief. If, however, the species of unbelief be distinguished according to the various errors that occur in matters of faith, there are not determinate species of unbelief. For errors can be multiplied indefinitely, as Augustine observes, in On Heresies. Reply to Objection 1. The formal aspect of a sin can be considered in two ways first according to the intention of the sinner in which case the thing to which the sinner turns is the formal object of his sin and determines the various species of that sin secondly it may be considered as an evil and in this case the good which is forsaken is the formal object of the sin which however does not derive its species from this point of view in fact, it is a privation. We must therefore reply that the object of unbelief is the first truth, considered as that which unbelief forsakes, but its formal aspect, considered as that to which unbelief turns, is the false opinion that it follows. And it is from this point of view that unbelief derives its various species. Hence, even as charity is one, because it adheres to the sovereign good, while there are various species of vice opposed to charity, which turn away from the sovereign good by turning to various temporal goods, and also in respect of various inordinate relations to God. So too, faith is one virtue through adhering to the one first truth. Yet there are many species of unbelief, because unbelievers follow many false opinions. Reply to objection two. This argument considers the various species of unbelief, according to various points in which errors occur. Reply to objection three. Since faith is one, because it believes in many things in relation to one so may unbelief although it errs in many things be one in so far as all those things are related to one yet nothing hinders one man from erring in various species of unbelief even as one man may be subject to various vices and to various bodily diseases sixth article whether the unbelief of pagans or heathens is graver than other kinds objection one it would seem that the unbelief of heathens or pagans is graver than all other kinds for just as bodily disease is graver according as it endangers the health of a more important member of the body so does sin appear to be graver according as it is opposed to that which holds a more important place in virtue now that which is most important in faith is belief in the unity of god from which the heathens deviate by believing in many gods therefore their unbelief is the gravest of all objection to further Among heresies, the more detestable are those which contradict the truth of faith in more numerous and more important points. Thus, the heresy of Arius, who severed the Godhead, was more detestable than that of Nestorius, who severed the humanity of Christ from the person of God the Son. Now the heathens deny the faith in more numerous and more important points than the Jews and heretics, since they do not accept the faith at all. Therefore, their unbelief is the gravest. Objection 3. Further, every good diminishes evil. Now there is some good in the Jews, since they believe in the Old Testament as being from God, and there is some good in heretics, since they venerate the New Testament, therefore, they sin less grievously than the heathens who receive neither testament. On the contrary, it is written in Second 2 Peter two: twenty-one. It had been better for them not to have known the way of justice than after they have known it to turn back. Now the heathens have not known the way of justice, whereas heretics and Jews have abandoned it after knowing it in some way. Therefore theirs is the graver sin. I answer that, as stated above in Article 5, two things may be considered in unbelief. One of these is its relation to faith, and from this point of view, he who resists the faith after accepting it sins more grievously against the faith than he who resists it without having accepted it, even as he who fails to fulfill what he has promised sins more grievously than if he had never promised it. In this way, the unbelief of heretics, who confess their belief in the gospel, and resist that faith by corrupting it, is a more grievous sin than that of the Jews, who have never accepted the gospel faith. Since, however, they accepted the figure of that faith in the old law, which they corrupt by their false interpretations, their unbelief is a more grievous sin than that of the heathens, because the latter have not accepted the gospel faith in any way at all. The second thing to be considered in unbelief is the corruption of matters of faith. In this respect, since heathens err on more points than Jews, and these in more points than heretics, The unbelief of heathens is more grievous than the unbelief of the jews and that of the jews than that of the heretics except in such cases as that of the manichees who in matters of faith err even more than heathens do of these two gravities the first surpasses the second from the point of view of guilt since as stated above in article one unbelief has the character of guilt from its resisting faith rather than from the mere absence of faith for the latter as was stated in article one seems rather to bear the character of punishment hence speaking absolutely the unbelief of heretics is the worst this suffices for the replies to the objections end of question ten Read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C.